welcome to a Good Friday service. If you would, turn to the Bible to John chapter 10. We're gonna focus tonight on the death and crucifixion of Jesus. Some of us are having flashbacks this evening because when COVID shut everything down, we were here every Friday night recording the services for you all. Do you remember that? Last March and April and May. It felt then the way it feels now, like a Friday night, the end of a long, tiring week. This feels different than Sunday morning, doesn't it? We're glad to be here tonight because we believe that Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the most important thing that's ever happened in the world, partnered with the resurrection. If you're here tonight and you're a young child, we are glad that you're here tonight. We intentionally do not have nursery or e-kids on a night like this where we want to provide a short message so that you will know the seriousness of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross and that he's alive. You know, as Christians, especially with discipleship and trying to uh, raise up believers to maturity in Christ, as the Bible tells us to, we have to be careful to make sure that we don't um, provide just emotional experiences. We have to be careful with that. And the best way to do that is to teach sound doctrine, right? The best way to do that is not for us to come in here and some days be emotional and some days be boring. The best ways to do that is to teach sound doctrine and see what the truth says. That's the answer to everything. What does the Bible actually say? Because there are plenty of passages that will get you excited, aren't they? There are plenty of passages that will get you excited. If the sun has set you free, you will be free indeed. That will make you stand up, right? When Peter and John raced to the empty tomb and found it empty just as the women had said it was, that will make you stand up in excitement. And we could go on and on of passages in scripture that are thrilling, but we also need to know that there are some passages that will stop you dead in your tracks. You won't be ready to run off to lunch and forget the message. You'll want to process what the truth was. For the wages of sin is death. And every one of us walked in here tonight as a sinner, deserving death. You don't get excited about that. You know, there's some heavy passages. The way you counter emotional Christianity or uh, emotional discipleship is with sound doctrine. And a Good Friday service is so good for that because we get to gather and focus on the crucifixion. Now, the cool thing about being a Christian and a follower of Christ is that this service tonight is under the umbrella that Jesus is alive, okay? We know that. He's risen, and we celebrate the living Jesus. He is not dead. Tonight, we focus on his death, but he is not dead. He overcame death. He reigns now. We rejoice in that. But it is part of the scriptures from God, the holy teaching, that we look at what his death means so that we can understand what his living means. And that is why this week we have a Good Friday service. We began this Passion Week this past Sunday as we looked at Palm Sunday. And you'll recall that he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and they pulled out the palm branches and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it would not be long before 
before they got to Thursday and he had the final supper with his disciples and he washed the disciples' feet. And even then, they didn't understand that they needed to be cleansed by Jesus and he was teaching them that. And it would be the very next day that he would be crucified on the cross, Friday. And that's what Good Friday is. I wanna look at John chapter 10, verse 18, one verse. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Does everybody see that? I'm gonna stop there and just cover half of verse 18 tonight, 1018a. We have Jesus saying, I lay it down of my own accord, talking about his life. This is John chapter 10, and it's one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. In John, you have seven I am statements that we've talked about often here at church, and two of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John are in chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, and I am the door. I am the gate. You've heard those before. Those are there. John chapter 10 is loaded with good doctrine from Jesus. Jesus teaching us who he is and how he relates to us. He's the door. The only way to get into the sheepfold is to enter in by him and he even says if you entered in by another way not through the door then you didn't even get in the only way to get in is through the door which is Jesus that's one of the I am statements here but the other one in John chapter 10 is I am the good shepherd and he talks a lot about this shepherd sheep analogy the shepherd leads the sheep the sheep hear his voice we know his voice we will listen to his voice the sheep will we will not listen to other voices we know the difference there are fake shepherds that come along the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy and we can recognize the difference I mean this is loaded in John chapter 10 and the shepherd sheep analogy is really a good one but there's an emphasis in the shepherd sheep analogy in John 10 that gets overlooked all the time and we've talked about it here at our church a lot five times in John chapter 10 five times the shepherd says he lays down his life for the sheep so often in shepherd talk, you hear lead the sheep, feed the sheep, teach the sheep, but you don't hear die for the sheep until you get to the shepherd Jesus. Five times in chapter 10, the shepherd says he will die for the sheep. That right there ought to get your attention. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 10, it says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you look at verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. If you look at verse 17, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. If you look at verse 18, I lay it down of my own accord. You look at the next sentence in verse 18, I have authority to lay it down. The shepherd sheep analogy is a good one and there is truly so much to say about it, but the point that's often most overlooked is that he lays down his life. And it's the last two mentions that we see in verse 18 that we're gonna focus on tonight of Good Friday. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. 
We're talking about God's son who died for the sins of the world as he was rejected and despised, as he was taken, accused falsely, he was put on trial, as they chanted, crucify him, crucify him. They have a criminal that they really expect to, re, to, uh, uh, to be punished and instead the people say, no, let him go kill Jesus. You know the story. It's an ugly, ugly story. It's filled with spitting in his face and mocking him at his feet. It's filled with crooked, evil people bowing down before him and jokingly saying, oh yeah, you're the king. Hail to the king. And they're making fun of him. It's ugly all the way through. They beat him until he's so bloody. They beat him until he cannot even carry the cross. And then at the very end of it being horrible, they kill him by nailing him to the cross. And yet here in John 10, 18, we have him saying, I'm doing that. I have the authority to do that. Tonight, I want us to focus in on the authority of Jesus to lay down his life. What a statement. Doesn't authority mean power, right? Doesn't authority mean like you can do whatever you want to do because you're the one in charge? Isn't that the way authority works? then why is Good Friday, the day where he was killed on the cross, a place for us to see him say, I had authority to do that? To do what? Be rejected and killed by people? Yes. But this isn't the first time that we've heard Jesus speak about authority, is it? No, it's not. You all are familiar with the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28 and what we know as the Great Commission. And you know that in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Y'all, not only does he have authority to lay down his life, he has authority to do anything, anything. Do you remember when the disciples were freaking out, scared to death, about to die because a storm had come on a fishing trip? And they said to Jesus, do you not care? We are dying and about to die from this storm. And Jesus wakes up from the bottom of the boat and steps out and says, peace be still. And the disciples turned around and they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him. Authority like nobody's ever seen. Authority of God Almighty inside a human being, Jesus Christ, the God-man. He has all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. He has authority, he declares, to lay down his life, and we celebrate that here on Good Friday. But it causes us to kind of feel puzzled now with if he has all the authority, then why did he die? And that's a big question, right? That's a question that we always wrestle with, and that's a question that we try to figure out. And I want to assure you that just because you've seen Jesus at a low point or Jesus when he appears weak, that that does not mean he did not have his authority. Do you have room for that in your doctrine and in your belief and in your theology? Do you have room for the one with all authority in heaven on earth to lay down his life and suffer and die? Absolutely. I remember being a teenage boy and getting one of the many talks from my dad on money management, trying to teach me to 
save and value money and understand how hard it is to make a dollar and all of that. He proceeded to tell me a story that one day he was at work being the boss of every employee there and they were on lunch break and the guys got to making fun of my dad for the truck he drove. My dad has always just driven a little simple truck and when that one finally wore out, he gets another little simple truck and that's what he always drove and I admired that about him. And he said the guys were making fun of him because of the truck he drove and saying things like, man, can you not drive something better than that? And I never forget as a little kid, my dad saying something to the effect, or I was a teenager, not a little kid, something to the effect of, to me, just because I drive this truck doesn't mean I have to drive this truck. I could get another one if I wanted to. And I also remember him saying, just wait till Christmas time and it'll be those same guys with the better truck than me needing to borrow money from me. But I'll never forget the statement of just because I drive this truck doesn't mean I would have to drive this truck. I could, and that's the idea that we have with Jesus. He has all authority in heaven on earth. Just because he's getting beaten by people doesn't mean he can't doesn't mean he couldn't stop them. Just because he looks miserable and disgusting on the cross and helpless, just because he looks like that, doesn't mean that he was. He has the authority to stop it. And that's a conversation that happens a few times in Scripture. Let me remind you of the scene when they came to the garden, when Jesus was praying. I'm talking about Matthew 26 and John 18. When they're praying in the garden, and Judas, knowing where Jesus prayed, comes with an army of people. You remember this story. And they had torches and lanterns and weapons, the Bible says. And they come, and he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And then they come over to arrest him. You remember the scene? And do you remember when Peter pulls out his sword and reaches in and cuts off Malchus's ear? You remember that? Well, listen to the words of Jesus as he tells Peter, put your sword away. In Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Peter, do you misunderstand what's going on here in my authority? Yes, there's an army. Yes, they're arresting me. Yes, they're about to go beat me and kill me. But Peter, do you not think I could stop this? Peter, do you not think I could tap into my power, my lordship, my divinity, my deity? Do you not think I could call out to my father who I am one with, one and the same? I'm one of the three pieces of that holy trinity, three Godhead. Do you not think I could do that, Peter? Peter, I could tell God right now to blow a kiss and they drop dead. I could tell God right now to pick them up and throw them into swine and they'd run off into a mountain. Peter, I could do anything I wanted to right now. Don't mistake the weakness and the lowliness and the good Friday-ness of Jesus for weakness. He has all authority. Or what about this other scene in Matthew chapter 27 that is very much so connected to Good Friday? Matthew 27, 39 or 40 says, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you remember this, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself 
If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. You remember when they said that? They mocked him to his face. They thought in their limited, in their finite thinking, we all think we're so smart at times, we're so clever, and they thought in being so smart that he could not possibly be God or from God or our Savior because he's stuck on a cross, embarrassed and shameful, right outside the city. If you really were, come down, to which every believer knows. I'm sure glad he didn't. He could have, I know, but I'm so glad he didn't. May we be reminded of the authority that he has, all authority in heaven on earth, and the authority to lay it down. So here's the statement. In John 10, 18, I have authority to lay it down. So we hear, here we see Jesus saying, he gave himself to die, that he did it. Now, this is absolutely a claim to him being God, and you see this throughout the Gospel of John. This is the very issue. If you look over at John chapter 10, verse 33, it says, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. See, we are to believe here tonight that this is Jesus as the God-man dying for the sins of the world. They heard that claim. They weren't confused about that claim. They just rejected that claim, and they did not believe it. And so, in Jesus saying that, he is showing us that he is God and God's son, both, and he is now laying down his life. So the big question that comes about this time of year, always in the Passion Week, the Easter season, and on Good Friday, is who killed Jesus? And that comes out sometimes in Time Magazine, that comes out, out sometimes in Newsweek and in our, in our newspapers. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans or was it the Jews? Or you know, Whose fault is this terrible thing that happened? Well, here it says the authority was with him himself and he laid it down. But I wanna share a couple other pieces with you to get you thinking. Who killed Jesus? Well, from one sense, it was his opponents. And I want you to turn to John chapter 19. We're gonna read some scripture here just so that you can see them killing Jesus. John chapter 19, we're gonna read some scripture. John chapter 19. Who killed Jesus? John chapter 19, beginning in verse one. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him again, now pay attention to this and all that I've talked about so far. Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now imagine trying to get into a, a chest sticking out competition on who has the most authority with Jesus. That's what's happening here. Notice Jesus' answer, verse 11. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him. Crucify him, Pilate said to them. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. That's a dark and heavy passage, isn't it? It is. But it's a passage that shows us in the context of Good Friday and the death of Christ that his opponents killed him. They wanted to kill him, they rejected him, they had opposed him, and they wanted him dead, and they made decisions to have him dead. And we see that. But it's not only the opponents that the, Bible, that the Bible shows us killed Jesus. We see very clearly in the Bible that the Father, God the Father, Jesus' Father, if you will, that killed him. We read in our call to worship, Isaiah 53, verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was God's will to kill his son. Matthew 26, 39, we also see it in Luke twenty two forty two. 42. Jesus praying and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, God. God, if I don't have to die, let's do it another way. But if you want me to die, then let's do it. Jesus surrendering himself to the will of the Father. Or what about John 12, 27, when Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That It was the will of God and the plan of God and the glory of God for him to kill his son. Or what about the sermon of Peter at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when Peter would say these very words, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless given up by the plan of God, killed by the hands of men. We see both there, that it was the Father killing Jesus and it was his opponents killing Jesus. The question I'm asking is who killed Jesus and there, according to the scriptures, there are a lot of people involved in the killing of Jesus. 
And that brings us back here to chapter 10 of John, verse 18, when we hear him say, I lay down my life, I have authority to lay down my life. We ask a question then on Easter. We ask a question then in Christianity. Why? Why did he die? Why did he have to die? This is the bigger question. It's a bigger question because who killed Jesus isn't important as why he was killed. We hear him say he laid it down. We hear the father say he did it. We see the opponents hating him and we understand sin and yet we find ourselves asking why. If you're here tonight and you are not sold on the why or convinced or, or you've not believed in that, we want to close with an explanation. Two reasons to answer the why did Jesus die. Number one, because sin is bad and it must be dealt with. Because sin is against God. It isn't simply that we're flawed. It isn't simply that we've made bad decisions. It is that we have rebelled against our Father and Maker that loves us. We have rebelled against God. We have crossed him. We have done what he said not to do, and we've not done what he has said to do. We have sinned against God, and this is a bad thing. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for you. Why did he die? Because sin is bad and it had to be dealt with. Why did he die? Because we sinned and we needed help. Why did he die? Because we are in a bad spot as sinners against God and we need a savior that would come in our place and he is it. But secondly, Jesus died because sin is bad, but he also died because God loves us. God loves loves people. And Good Friday makes it crystal clear that he does. I remember when my kids were really little and I used to ask them all the time, do you know that God loves you? And I bet they could tell you these answers still even though it's been years. And they would say yes, because the Bible says he does, and yes, but it's because the cross shows me he does. He loves us. When we hear the, 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 the Easter story, when we hear that Jesus Christ went to the cross and died, or when you hear the old-fashioned answer that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, you are to be convinced that he loves you, that God in heaven, God Almighty, the God of all glory loves you. And I wanna ask you here tonight, have you committed your life to those two things? that your sins are bad and they are against God. And yet Jesus came for that reason. He died for those sins. And in recognizing that the reason why he was hanging on the cross for you is because of how much God loves you, you want to embrace that love. You don't want to question, does God love you? You don't want to try to earn that God loves you. You don't want to get caught up in emotional discipleship, wondering does he love you based off your circumstances. You want to believe that Jesus Christ on the cross is the absolute evidence along with the truth of the word of God saying it, that God does love you and your sins that are against God have been dealt with on the cross. 
The Bible teaches us this time and time again. He took our sins. Isn't it a great question? Why is Good Friday called Good Friday? And the answer is, he took our place. Aren't you thankful? If you were supposed to die today in little old Fairdale, which is smaller than Jerusalem, by the way, if you were supposed to die today in Fairdale, right here in the roundabout, they stuck a big old cross beam right in the middle of the roundabout, and everybody's gonna see you hanging there bloody and stripped. We can't even really imagine that, I know. And all of a sudden, somebody walked up and said, hey man, you don't have to, I'll do it for you. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be good. And that's what Good Friday's about. That you sinned against God and he died in your place. That's good. That is good. Turn with me to Romans 5 as we end by reading again the passage that Matt McBroom read. As we put these things together, the authority of Jesus, the badness of sin, and the love of God, being the very uh, uh, formula that God has used to bring us into his family, into a relationship with God. Romans chapter five, verse six. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The death of Jesus Christ that we celebrate on Good Friday is God showing us what he's doing to bring us into his love. Would you believe it? Would you allow this holiday, if it even is a holiday, Good Friday, to stir your heart for Easter Sunday. That your God, knowing all your sins, died for you. He loves you. Believe that. The last year to year and a half has been a hard one. One of my sons asked me this week, has this been the worst thing that's ever happened? That's a good question, isn't it? We got into talking about the Holocaust, but that's a good question, isn't it? Is the coronavirus the worst thing that's ever happened? At least we were asked that. I don't know how you answer that, but I know it's been hard. Y'all, I got a call this morning. We had a church member in our church whose mom died today. Good Friday. Last Saturday, we had a funeral 
for a church member whose mom died. Two weeks ago, we had a funeral for a church member whose mom died. A few months back, we had funerals for church members whose mom died. Y'all, death has been getting at us this year. For 2020 and even until now, every single night when you turn on the TV, or for me, every single morning when I read the news, so that the news doesn't tell me, I I read the news, but every day when we get the news, guess what we're told? How many more deaths happened yesterday, right? This many died yesterday, and that's this many for the month, and now that's this many for the year, and now that's this many for the worldwide, right? And death is all around us, and it is not fun. It is not fun. I did a funeral today, a graveside funeral for a family right up here at Mount Holly Cemetery. I got two calls today for people right here in town that died. One, a 39-year-old that died in his sleep this morning right here in Fairwell. Death is all about us. And it is not fun to deal with death, as you know. It will shake you to your core. It'll cause you to rethink and question everything you've ever experienced. And guess what Good Friday is? Death. But Good Friday is not a death to get you down. Because Good Friday, because Good Friday is God's son's death. Who died for our death. Believe it. Good Friday is the death of God's son to deal with all of our deaths. And for that, we feel loved. And for that, we have hope. We are believers. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, died in our place, died for our death, but is not dead. He lives. He reigns. And he can walk with you tonight. He can hear your prayers tonight. He can give peace to your soul tonight. He can give you all the fulfillment that you need. He can overcome everything in your life and give you settled down hope and faith inside of you because he's been to death and back and he lives. And Good Friday reminds us of this. He died for you and he loves you. Believe it. Father in heaven, we thank you for Good Friday. And we thank you that for as awful as death is and for as much as it has bothered us this year, God, we know one who already has been there and overcame it. Death could not hold him. We ask the question, death, where is your sting that Paul says in 1 Corinthians like we read Wednesday night? Father, we thank you that death could not hold him and he is alive. And so all of our deaths and all of our struggles and all of our sinful hardship, God, we bring to the one who loves us and died for us. And now we are brought into peaceful reconciliation with you. Thank you, Father, for killing your son Jesus in our place. Thank you, Father, that Jesus had the authority to lay down his life. We believe. Father, get our hearts focused on you. Father, lead us to be those that believe in the resurrected living Jesus. We praise you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.